what I need is to go back to the original point of meeting. It is just a coincidence, just a constellation of a coincidence. I could have been him, I could have been her. So all human beings, in my understanding, used to be in the same universe. I'm Eileen Dunn, and this is The Art of Listening, a podcast that delves into the incomparable power of human connection and the magic of good depth talk therapy. Joining us today is Kouichi Togashi. As each of us maps out our sense of self, who we are, what we feel, where the ends of us meet the beyond, we are bound to encounter something else, something foreign, that will thicken its skin with time, same as we flesh out the details of who we are. From this peculiar meeting, curiosity grows, asking the question of what more could be, again and again, never quite landing on an exacting truth. Could I grasp what others are living and breathing through? How do I bridge this divide to reach the other shore? Can I unveil just enough in others to find a shared plane of existence? Or, as Kouichi Tokashi likes to put it, we could go back to original meetings, original point of human encounters in which he and I and she and I were in the same universe. Our conversation today is an attempt at finding each other. With Kouichi, we explore how division seeps into language as we seek to tell our individual stories. And we find that even the softest of words, like empathy, serve to label a contradiction, to be different, yet reaching out. Accepting the insufficiency of language, Kouichi will revisit moments of deep connection, locating their place of origin, which he calls the psychoanalytic zero. But before we join him in conversation, I ask you once more to consider a few questions throughout the episode. In your heart of hearts, what makes you feel that you belong in the world, aligned with your surroundings, even as you grow into yourself and further away from all you once knew? What place in your mind or in the world do you return to when you feel a deep longing for connection and understanding? To give us food for thought, let us speak to our guest, Kouichi Togashi, a psychoanalyst practicing in Japan and the United States. He's the author of The Psychoanalytic Zero, Decolonizing Study of Therapeutic Dialogues. The heart of your message, as I got it and get it, is something about what connects us as human beings, you know, what transcends the differences between East and West, and how do we think about ourselves as human beings, you know, in relationship with our patients as human beings. Listening is what connects us with our patients, with each other, and with ourselves as human beings. You know, it's that quality of listening to really, really hear 
So in the spirit of all that, and my connection I feel I have with you as we come into this, thinking back to growing up, just reaching into your own personhood from the beginning of your lifetime, you know, do you think that the skill of listening, the capacity to really listen, (laughs) was something natural to you from your youth? Or was it something that you had to work hard to learn? Thinking back my, you know, childhood, I was not a listener. And by interested in the human beings, but it's very hard for me to listen to people. Then I get a training as a clinical psychologist and I went to the New York City and I get a training in psychoanalysis. I learn a lot. I learn a lot how we can diagnose, how we can assess a patient, how we can label a patient as a patient. So I thought I was very good at diagnosing, assessing patient, but I, I did not think I was a very good listener because I found myself forgetting how my patients and I are both human beings. After I had a session with my patient, I always think I, I missed something important voices of my patient. The more I believe I, I am good analyst and psychologist to label a patient, the more I feel I'm not a good listener. So this is my struggle. I, I have been struggled a long time as a therapist. So this is the one of the reasons why I try to have new theory to be connected to a patient via human beings. New theory. Say more. New theory is a theory which helps me to experience myself and my patient both as a human being. And psychoanalysis has, you know, several school of sorts. So I am so psychologist. I, I'm, I'm so psychological and intersubjective theorist. The psychology and intersubjectivity focuses on empathy, the term empathy. The empathy is a very helpful word, a beautiful word, which helps me to be connect uh, patients, the patient in mind. But I'm not satisfied with the concept. It is a beautiful word. But to me, when we say we are empathic to a patient, there is a basic promise that they and I are different. There's a basic promise that I and others are different. Because, you know, we say we are empathic with them, meaning I know they are a different person from me. I am not them. So we have to transcend and go beyond the self and other differentiation. You know, some people are healthy, some people are poor, and some people are wealthy. There's many divisions here. He's a patient, I am not. Kind of distinctions. Dichotomies. Yeah, dichotomies. But it is just a coincidence just the constellation of a coincidence that 
I was not, I was not being abused, but she was. I was not the uh, victimizer, but he was. That's just, uh, to me, it's due to the cancellation of coincidence. I could have been him. I could have been her. So all human beings, in my understanding, used to be in the same universe. So probably it's, it's, it's Eastern idea. But the Western people, I have trained, it's like in a training in a New York City for five years. And they gave me the important concept, empathy. But as long as I use the term empathy, I don't believe that we, we can go beyond, transcend, self and other differentiation. What I need is to go back to the original point of meeting. Because it is my belief that we are human beings. So how we can go back to the original point before we are divided. So this is a theory I probably needed. Instead of being about the fact that we're different, it's something about what we share or what makes us connected most fundamentally. Yeah, I don't like the word connection because connection means two different people are connected. Okay. Right? You're that sensitive, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what I'm thinking is it's related to my background. You know, I grew up in, this, you know, in Japan. I always feel I am alien. I am in the merging and I am not connected to the community. Uh, I know I'm a Japanese, I speak Japanese, but my way of thinking is sometimes criticized by the people around me. And you are not Japanese, uh, your way of thinking is so different from them. There is one of the reasons why I decided to go to New York. I, I, I look for a place in which I feel more you know, secure and connected. New York City is a very wonderful city to me because they're all people so different. I don't have to be worried about my, you know, myself. It's I, I'm, I'm me, and it's so obvious that they and I am so different. But same time, I went to New York. I entered in the United States July 30, 2001. It's one month earlier than 9-11 attack. Wow. And I lived in the 46th Street in the midtown of Manhattan and very close to in the downtown. But it's, you know, it is interesting experience to me. The 9-11 attack was very, I was very shocked by the terrorist attack. At the same time, the 9-11 helps me to accommodate or you know, are connected to the New York people. The first one month after I entered into the United States, I suffered from deep, deep culture shock. I found myself feeling alone and lonely and disconnected to the people because then I left everything behind in Japan. I quit my job, I leave my friends or, you know. But after September 11, I sense that all New Yorkers are, you know, 
get connected, get together. We are all survivors or we are victimized. So that's helped me to adjust myself to the new city. But a few months after, I recognized that I am Japanese, East Asian heritage. So I feel you know, safe in the New York City. But how, you know, Arab people experience this incident? How Islamic people experience the kind of, you know, you know, environment? So it means that to me, we create connection by dumping out other people. This we create division, then we try to survive in this world. The human connection is very helpful. It's important. But at the same time, human connection creates division. That's maybe a big experience to me. And uh, it's motivated me to seek a new theory. So what I'm thinking is how we could go back to original meetings, original point of human encounters in which he and I and she and I were in the same universe. I could have been him and he could have been me. Listening to Kouichi, I am struck by the resilience and the plasticity of his thinking. Amongst the rubble of a city torn by tragedy, he finds trauma exposed anew as a place of connect and disconnect. What a fascinating discovery. On the one hand, bearing the brunt of tragedy brings us together. Submitting to its weight, we lose the same, we grieve the same, we survive the same. On the other hand, trauma hinders our ability to reach further than what we can see. We grow defensive, territorial, defining with a rigidity we mistake for strength who is allowed to share our sorrow. We push away whoever is left beyond these limits, the borders of our understanding. Like both sides of a picture laid flat in a diptych, trauma lets us in on a hidden place, wherein lies the original point of connection. But this shared humanity is not contained in trauma. If anything, trauma is only a door we step through to access it. Hence, for Kouichi, the tragic events of 9-11 were a passage, a route through which he caught a glimpse of something new, a different kind of thinking. It really was just that moment when you came to this country in that moment in your lifetime, and it contributed to your experience of connecting, but also the launch of the thinking that you've been doing since then. I could be you, you could be me, right? Is that what you mean by the psychoanalytic zero? Yeah, yes. It is the original point we can go back to. To me, it's a trauma point. Trauma, some people believe that trauma destroy and a human world, and some people believe that trauma creates a human division, human divide. But I don't believe trauma creates something. A human being creates trauma because we have to label, we have to name 
he, she, and an I, and this is you, this is me, we, human being, name it. That's create the trauma to me. So my challenge is how we therapists go back to the original point before we name the word. Am I crazy? <laughs> no, I mean, I think, again, I think that what you're putting words to, and words are labels, which, again, have their function, but also their limit, but in an effort to communicate and share your thought, that it's just profoundly fundamental, <laughs> that there's something much bigger and original and enduring that we share than what distinguishes us or comes to apparently separate us or distinguish us. Yeah, but I'm not saying that the concept of zero or the player witness is an idea which replaces the empathy or other psychoanalytic term. And also, I don't think we can become a patient. The patient and I are different. It's obvious to me. And hmm. he or she is a patient. I, I am therapist. We, we, can, we can deny the, the, the difference. But to me, through the concept of analytic zero or the uh, sense of being play witness, we can remember how we miss the basic human being. You know, the concept reminds me how we forget about we are born as a human being. That's it. So you're saying it doesn't preclude empathy or these other levels of thought about theory and technique and the roles of our work and relationship. There's a point to all that. It's, it's not a problem. But it's something about that fundamental reminder that we are human beings. And it's a thing to remember that affects everything we do and how we do it in the work. I'm, I'm thinking about the patient you described who had the disfigurement of her face, let's say, and how you talked about you both knew it, so little was said directly, explicitly. I understood that to be timing and process and, and sensitivity in that until there came a time where there was a crisis moment where she said, am I ugly? And the delicate way that you responded in saying, in responding and nodding and not saying yeah. more, as I recall and understood it, it was like a moment of, I want to say, contact between you and shared encounter that was maybe the moment you had been living in the work, preparing for all the time, that then was the turning point in the work where that which she had suffered, you know, being patronized by the world or feeling judged and distanced, et cetera, and then fighting within herself, she had a different encounter with you and could leave the treatment feeling herself differently in the world, knowing that feeling the zero, <laughs> I want to say, that somehow she got the message herself. It could have been you, Kouichi, 
instead of herself. Yeah, thank you for reading carefully my book. Thank you so much. Uh, I think it is a very moment that we share what kind of world we live. So and at this point, I no longer feel that she is a patient. I have to be empathic. She's no longer the poor patient. She's, she's just human beings. And because I, I could have got scar in my face in another universe. So the reason I believe why this idea is very important is because it helps me to understand why we therapists want to treat our patients. It's not an easy job. We spend a lot of energy to be with them, to listen to them. Why we want to do? You know, it, is it because we, they, they are poor victims that we want to spend the time to listen to them? Is it because we, want, we have professional great skills that we spend our energy being with a so-called difficult patient? My answer is no. We are willing to do such hard work because we know that somewhere along the way, we have been in the same universe. This sounds like your answer to the question, you know, what's the understanding you believe to be integral to all professional listeners' success with our patients? This sounds like your answer. Yeah. Freed from the need to identify with theory, Koichi roots his practice in a bare, preliminal space, wherein all life is shared. This makes knowing others intrinsically valuable, naturally even. But his approach is as simple as it is deceptive, for it takes time, trials, errors, and numerous humblings to peel back the layers. So, Koichi, I, you know, I have the sense that you've been on your own real journey over the course of your lifetime, since your youth and your young adulthood in the profession, through the academics that are necessary to come into, you know, these capacities. I wonder how you think of yourself growing over time from what you know about your own experience of living into the limit of what the textbook could tell you and what launched your own learning, your own growth coming into your beliefs. Was there a pivotal moment where you said, that's it, burn the books, it's up to me? Well, uh, <laughs> there's, there's a huge ambition in my mind still. And, and uh, in the psychoanalytic world, I want to be famous or I want to be I want to get some kind of, you know, prize or I want to have some kind of reputation from my community. I'm still very narcissistic and grandiose. I'm not able to leave the grandiose fantasy, but, but uh, the one of the important experiences I had is, you know, my, my practice in, in Hiroshima. I'm practicing now in Hiroshima and Kobe, 
I had no connection with the Hiroshima city, but when I graduated from the Psychoanalytic Institute in New York City, I got a position at university in Hiroshima. It's just a coincidence that I started my practice in the Hiroshima city. Because you know, I, I was born in Tokyo and grown up in Tokyo area, I have no idea what kind of trauma the people in Hiroshima have. But as soon as I started seeing a patient in the city, they realized that every patient there has a piece of trauma. You know, the piece of trauma from a bomb, atomic bomb, or Pacific War. It was almost 80 years ago, 80 years ago. Most of my patients are second or third generation of atomic bomb survivors, or they, some patients are not directly related to atomic bomb in any of their generations, but they, they can see a trauma in their mind. For example, some patients show less or no emotional responses to natural disaster, war, and terrorism. Some patients are very highly sensitive to these events. I think the city of Hiroshima itself traumatized in some sense. They believe even small children need to witness an A-bomb disaster. Elementary schools in Hiroshima city take even children as young as six or seven years old to the Peace Memorial Museum, which shows people grotesque, miserable, and painful pictures and films of atomic bomb. These children often suffer from the secondary trauma because they are you know, exposed to the kind of films. What, what, what is even more interesting to me is that by showing such a painful and hurtful photos and films of Japanese people, they are trying to let children know that the Japanese are terrible perpetrators, victimizers. I, I don't deny that Japanese are guilty. It is an you know, undeniable fact that Japan started a terrible war and destroyed many Asian cities and kills a lot of people in Asia, in America, and other regions. But the problem is they proved their guilt by showing many injured, killed Japanese people. And then I, I question and keep questioning how we can differentiate between victimizer and victims in the Pacific War. I believe Japanese people are victimizers as well as a victim. How I can, you know, work out the kind of distinction? That's very important question to me because I'm a therapist. So in my practice, I believe that we are sometimes stay in the kind of division because we say he or she is a patient. I am not a patient. I am a therapist. He or she is, uh, you know, pathological and I'm not. So 
you know, this type of division also, we can see the kind of division all over the world. It's not only social trauma, social problems, but also our critical practice. So we cannot completely forget the kind of division. But I believe that there's a way that we can work out this divide. Overcoming our divisions is a process that brings us face to face with our deepest contradictions. This task is as intuitive as it is taxing. It's necessary, yet it relies solely on our goodwill. And while we know it is the work of the impossible, we strive for it no matter what. And so, exerting our desire to transcend difference will leave us strained, taking us to a place of pain, which can be a vector of connection, as we have seen. But as we edge this process deeper into who we are, let us also learn a new way to meet, to cross paths at the junction of our human experiences. Let us rest and connect through surrender. You know, I read your description and discussion of, am I pronouncing it correctly, Makoto? Makoto. 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 I wonder if you could say something more about that. It, it just really struck me as, I want to call it a beautiful aesthetic, the way you described it, in the midst of all of what we've been talking about together. Yeah, Makoto in Japanese is controversial term. It's good and bad. Sometimes very good, sometimes very bad. Makoto means surrendering ourselves to the big flow of the universe. It's very Eastern. You know, more narrow meaning is to be honest with my mind. Honest with myself means surrendering ourselves to the, the big flow of the universe because they and I believe that individual is a part of the universe. There's no distinction between, you know, big society and a big universe and individual. Individual is always part of the flow of the universe. So sometimes Japanese people surrender ourselves to big movement of society by using the term of the Makoto. This word, more negative form, it's suicide attack, you know? And Japanese people, the young people believe that killing themselves is to help the world. Because, you know, there's no question about their individual life because uh, the flow of the universe require them to kill themselves. It's a very negative form. It is a pure, it, it is honesty for the, these people. That's what I said, that it is very controversial. But we can use this word in a positive way to me. So surrendering ourselves to be with the environment 
as a clinicians, just to be with the patient, throwing up all of the idea of theories and technique and skills. So we just forget about all things. Then we surrender ourselves to the place. This is the, the way I supposed to do. This, this is the sense of Makoto. We all human beings always have some preoccupation. It's pretty hard for us to, you know, get rid of the preoccupation. It, maybe it's impossible, but we may be able to get the moment in which we get rid of all of the artificial theories or understanding or preoccupation. I totally appreciate your, you know, spelling it out and nothing is simple. It makes me think that it really does come back to, I want to say, our intention. But I wonder, by way of pulling ourselves to a close here, this is a different medium than writing a paper and delivering it, you know, before a group of colleagues. This is a different medium. It, it's very intimate. It's just you and me here, really. But I wonder how it's been for you. What do you notice when you pause? How has it been to be here with me and see what has happened? I enjoy talking with you and being with you. But what I feel a little bit sad is that this is not my first language. You know, uh, this is my second language. It's pretty hard for me to describe uh, what I'm thinking. But maybe even in Japanese, I always feel the difficult, you know, to, to you know, describe what I'm thinking. Uh, but second language is more, you know, difficult for me to use to describe the kind of complicated and sensitive ideas. And also, we are preoccupied with language, as many philosophers say, talking about my sensitivity and talking about Eastern concept in English is sometimes very difficult because the basic philosophies are so different. But, but you know, I'm so happy to be with you and I wish I could connect with each other with that language. You know, I really appreciate your honesty and your candor here. I think you come to life here, Koichi. I think we come to life here different when we try to talk to each other with and without words. Yeah. <laughs> Your language and mine, you know? And that might sound a little idealistic, but that's how it works for me. And that's how I feel it. As our conversation with Kouichi comes to a close, I am reminded of why we choose to come together, withstanding our contradictions. The search for others begins with a desire to understand their difference, to overcome a divide. As we dive in, looking for our shared humanity, language no longer suffices. It fails to capture who we are beyond duality. Instead, experience must take the lead tearing us apart only to reunite us at a starting point, the psychoanalytic zero. As I begin to understand, Kouichi, this is the place of connection for us all. Through tragedy, we cross a threshold, returning to a space of belonging, of togetherness, 
where we only need to surrender. To Kouichi, this is an Eastern idea, but one that unfolds universally. We find each other because we float in the same sky, all of us in constellations. It is a truth as simple as it is bewildering. The idea that I could have been you and you could have been me, that we are cut from the same cloth. When we let go of ourselves into our profound nature, something emerges out of the deep. The understanding that being together requires no flow of words or finite, all-encompassing knowledge. In the end, true understanding is not our ability to morph into what is other, to adhere to it at every point of contact. Instead, it is the conscious act of seeing, of listening, of witnessing the existence of something else and saying, let it be. This has been The Art of Listening. Again, my name is Eileen Dunn. Please join us for the next episode as we continue to dive into the space between speaker and listener. You can follow on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and a five-star rating. It helps us grow so that we can keep bringing you new conversations. And we'll see you next time.